This episode contains reference to suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Retold, Classics Given New Life, the show that recounts the tales that define storytelling for generations. I'm your host, John Beverly, the English major and struggling writer with a passion for the past. On today's episode, we will explore and retell the tale that created the idea of the evil split personality in pop culture, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, written by Robert Louis Stevenson in the year 1886. Before we begin, please note everything said in this retelling is rewritten by the crew here at Retold. None of this is actually quotes from the novel. We recommend you still read the novel to get the full experience, as we simply wish to embody the spirit of the original story. We begin our tale from the perspective of a lawyer by the name of Gabriel John Utterson, a lawyer living in Victorian London, as he learns about a rather strange incident that occurred recently. To many, my life would be considered somewhat boring. I was your everyday lawyer. I helped my clients with their problems. I went to dinner parties with my friends. And I went on walks with my cousin. It was a rather uneventful life, but I enjoyed it. During one of these walks, however, my cousin, a man by the name of Richard Enfield. Enfield was a very well-known man around London. He always had some form of interesting story to tell me. The one he told me this night was unlike any other and would lead me down a path of, of horror and discovery. Richard was going about his business earlier this morning when he saw a little girl running down the street. She was about to collide with a man. He looked about 20 years of age. To Richard's dismay, the two collided, resulting in the child falling on the ground. Mysteriously, the man was in no way phased by the collision. He just kept moving forward, trampling over the child. Everyone in the surrounding area came over to help the child and stop the man who was not slowing down. Luckily, a doctor was in the area, so the child was able to be examined. Other than the fear of the man, the child was fine. The truly strange thing was the explicit hatred everyone had for this man. Well, true, he had done something awful. Something about him put everyone on guard. Yet there was never anything truly wrong with this man. But there was something about him. It felt as if he had the devil in his eyes, Enfield later told me. In a fruitless attempt to appease the growingly infuriated crowd, the man dipped into a nearby house and returned with a check. Enough to pay for the child's medical bills and a healthy sum of hush money. Surprisingly, the check was not signed by the strange man in question, who identified himself as one Mr. Hyde, but instead by a well-respected pillar of the community. When the family went to cash the check, they were shocked to learn that it was genuine. This rather shady man was somehow able to acquire a rather large sum of cash from such an upstanding man on such short notice. I begged Enfield for more details, but... But to my dismay, this is where his knowledge came to an end. His knowledge may have been fleeting, but my interest certainly wasn't. I may be closer to this tale than I had been hoping. As I may know this certain pillar of the community quite well. Recently, a friend of mine had come to me and made a rather strange request to their will. The friend of mine was a kind and jovial man by the name of Dr. Henry Jekyll. A couple months ago, he came to me with a change to his will. Jekyll instructed me to alter his will so that if he was to pass away or disappear for a 
period spanning more than three months, to give everything he owns to a man by the name of Edward Hyde. In and of itself, the request wasn't too unusual. I'd assumed this Mr. Hyde was a friend of Jekyll, and he had just wished to add him. I may have been a bit perplexed about the disappearance aspect, but in my time knowing Dr. Jekyll, I'd come to know that he was a rather peculiar man, and I assume he simply wished to cover all his bases. As such, I let it slide, and filed the change. Although, after the tale Richard recently told me, I began to get concerned. As such, I decided to investigate. I began my search the best way I know how, looking through the city's files and records to see if there was any information I could get on this man. I went through my files, and of course, with the, with the one singular exception of Henry's will, this mysterious Hyde was fully absent. No surprise there. I wasn't truly expecting to man to be in my own files. I then spread out my search to all surrounding lawyers, and eventually I went to look through London's records. My hours of searching felt as if they were in vain. Until eventually I feel I struck gold. I found a deed to a house in the downtown London area. It was small and located in a neighborhood known for being... home to some rather uncouth individuals. Perfect for the man my dear cousin described. <laughs> While I was ecstatic to find some definitive information about this strange figure, I was equally puzzled. Despite my best efforts, this truly was the one piece of information I could uncover about this man. There was no birth certificate, tax records, bank records. For all intents and purposes, it was as if this Mr. Hyde had just appeared out of thin air. I was sure I would get to the bottom of this, no matter what. I would be the one to determine the mystery behind Mr. Hyde. <laughs> if he insists on being Mr. Hyde, then I shall be Mr. Seek. I loudly proclaimed. However, all my false bravado calmed down and I came back to reality. How am I to learn about who this man truly is? I had but one lead and I intended to use it. As such, I gathered my belongings and made my way to the property owned by this strange being. As I arrived at the building, I immediately noticed an insane level of disrepair. It looked as if someone had not been here for years. The bricks were chipped, the windows were cracked, and there was just this overall sense of unease. There was also a strange scent that I couldn't put together, but it was overall rather unpleasant. I approached the door and took a knock. I waited there for someone to answer. After about 30 seconds of waiting, I began to turn around. I guess no one was home. Frankly, I'm a little relieved. I wasn't actually looking that forward to meeting the creature that Richard described. I whipped around as fast as I could and raised my hands. I wasn't sure what kind of monster I would meet, but I would make sure to put up a fight. You would not take down this lawyer with ease. Whatever he had prepared for me, I would be ready for it. Is there something I can help you with, sir? What is this? This isn't some demon with Satan in his eyes. This is just an ordinary man. No different from any other. Uh, excuse me, sir? I'm, I'm looking for a Mr. Hyde. I'm here to inspect the property, I said as a sigh of relief washed over me. The master is currently out and does not return home often. You may inspect the property during his absence. Master? That makes a lot more sense. And who might you be? I asked the man. Uh, worry not of me, for I am simply a butler in the service of the master. So this man was wealthy enough to hire live-in staff. Well, I guess with Jekyll's inheritance, I shouldn't really be surprised, but I still was. Nonetheless. 
I began my search throughout the home. The layout of the building was nothing out of the ordinary. A kitchen, a living room, bedrooms, everything you would expect in a, nor- in a normal modern home. What did catch my eye was what I found when I entered the living room. Or more accurately, what I didn't find in the living room. What most of us expect the living room to be adorned with furnishings that fit in the atmosphere. There was none. No couch, no tables, no chairs. It was a completely empty room. I guess my prior statement still fits. The furnishing did fit the atmosphere. The lack of decorum absolutely completed the feeling of the abandoned rundown shack. As I made my way to the kitchen, I was befuddled by the sheer lack of any decorations. Not a painting to be found. The painting did nothing to secure my mind. (sighs) While this room had more than the rest of the home, it still had little to nothing. Simply enough pots and pans for one to cook. And enough to cook for one at that. The butler did say Hyde never showed up, so I guess his dining preparations were a one-man effort. Both on the cooking and on the consuming side. Eventually, I made my way upstairs into the bedroom, where I finally did find something of note. Inside the upstairs bedroom, I found several dusty notebooks, and along with that I found several tools laid out on what seemed to be the only table in the building. There was a pile of books covered in dust and cobwebs, and just off to the right was a group of tools laid neatly out. For what purpose? I couldn't make sense of it, but whatever it was, I was most certain that it would not be for something positive. After I had seen the tools, I felt as if I had seen enough. As such, I put on my coat and left the building. As I walked down the stairs at the front entrance, I wasn't paying much attention to my surroundings and bumped into someone. As such, I fell down, luckily not knocking down the victim of my klutz. As for what reason are you exiting my home? Asks the man. Ask the man I had bumped into. My home. Does this mean that this mysterious figure was Mr. Hyde? If I could get a good look at his face, I'm sure I'd be able to figure out what's going on here. I stood there and stared into the eyes of the man. What Richard said was true. He had had the devil in his eyes. There was definitely something wrong with him. He felt as if he had some sort of strange deformity, but there was nothing. There was no scars, no visual indicators of past trauma. Despite all the anxious feelings I got from this man, by all intents and purposes, he was a normal man. Sir! The call pulled me back to reality. Uh, yes sir, What, what can I do for you? Get the hell off my property! After what I had heard about this man, I did not wish to stick around and find out if he was as evil as I had heard. As such, I quickly ran away as fast as I could. Back in my office, I continued to ponder over the enigma that was Edward Hyde. I had seen him with my own eyes and explored his home, and yet I was nowhere near cracking the mystery of this devious man. If I wished to know about what was going on between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, there was only one person left I could talk to. A mutual friend of Jekyll and I, by the name of Dr. Lanyon. When I last spoke to Lanyon, he and Jekyll were as close as could be. They were brothers in arms, inseparable. They were lab partners and always stood by each other. So I headed down to the home of my old friend. I knocked on the door and was greeted by one of Lanyon's live-in servants. Oh my, Utterson, have you arrived to visit the master? I must have you know he's in rather poor health. But a visit from his old friend is sure to perk up his spirits, said the servant. 
The knowledge of Lanyon's condition came as no surprise to me. Lanyon may have had a mind unrivaled by any other, but his body could be rivaled by a small child. Needless to say, Lanyon was one to fall ill rather frequently. Hey, John, my old friend, it's been too long. To what do I owe the pleasure? Happily called Lanyon. Over the next hour or so, the two of us exchanged pleasantries over some tea. It was just like old times. From the outside, you could not tell the long stretch that separated us. Eventually, once the time was right, I decided to get down to business over why I had come to learn. Lanyon, to tell you the truth, I didn't simply visit in order to reminisce. I had some questions I wished to ask you. Some questions pertaining to Henry, actually. Henry? Well, John, I do wish I could be of some help to you, but I am in the dark about Henry's recent activities, just as much as you are. I haven't spoken to the man in the past five years. Well, true, we once saw ourselves as partners. We split up some time ago over an ethical dilemma, stated Lanyon. An ethical dilemma? Strange. Could this dilemma have something to do with Edward Hyde? Well, that's unfortunate. I was hoping you'd tell me something about a man named Edward Hyde. Unfortunately not. The name rings no bells. I'm truly sorry, John. I wish I could be of more help in this search. Yeah. Dismayed that there was no new information to learn from Lanyon, I finally decided to bite the bullet and go speak to the man himself. As such... I made my way to the home of Dr. Henry Jekyll. As I arrived at Jekyll's home, I was greeted by Poulet, the butler and head of staff at Jekyll's estate. Once again, as it was when I visited the residence of Hyde, Jekyll was not in. As such, I decided to ask Poulet if he knew anything about the arrangement between the two, in which I did manage to obtain a bit of new information. The introduction of this strange Mr. Hyde into this home has puzzled us all, for we don't know why the master treats such a heinous man with such care and respect, but we have been instructed to treat him as well as we would treat the master. Effectively, we must serve him as if he is a second Henry Jekyll, explained Poulet. I returned to my office to puzzle over the information I had learned. Hyde had a practically empty home. Jekyll and Lanyon cut contact over an ethical issue, and Hyde is treated as a master in the home of Jekyll. I felt as if I was on the verge of a breakthrough in this case, but it was just slipping through my fingers. There was only one man who could truly unravel the mysteries, but I was unable to speak to him. Unable to actually hold a conversation with Henry, I guess I would just have to wait. eventually came to an end when I received a saving grace. It was a letter from the good doctor himself, inviting me to a dinner party. Finally! I could have a chance to actually talk with Jekyll. Maybe then I could have a chance to clear it all up and put it all behind me. I dressed in my finest suit. This was a time to celebrate. What? Celebrate what, you may ask? Celebrate getting a chance to see my old friend? <laughs> Goodness, no! Ha! Not that I don't appreciate spending time with Henry but a celebration over finally being able to move on with this Mr. Hyde business. I arrived at Jekyll's home and was greeted at the door by Poulet. Excellent to see you once again, Mr. Utterson. 
I handed Pule the wine I had brought and went in to join the party. There were people everywhere, from the top floor to the bottom front of the door. I would hash a bet that there were people packed in like sardines into the cellar. There were just nowhere to move. As I shuffled around greeting people, I eventually ran into the man of the hour, Henry Jekyll. John, it's so great of you to make it. Tell me, how's work? Is the law treating you well? Henry, it's been too long. <laughs> you know me, always drowning in work, and you know the law, it's always changing. Occasionally, you can get sick of explaining it to the clients. I'm sure you're not sick of those revenue those clients are bringing in. From what I've heard, you've had a very good year. <laughs> yeah, we both know no man could get sick of that. So, I heard from Poulet that you stopped by a couple weeks ago. You wanted to talk to me about changes I made to my will, is that right? Right on the ball, Henry. I wanted to talk to you about your inheritor. I see. Well, stick around after the party, and we can discuss. Until then, enjoy the food and music. Over the next few hours, I mingled with several friends, discussed business, found some more clients, and enjoyed the food. I'm not sure who Henry's current chef is, but he is not being paid enough. This was truly wonderful. Around 10 o'clock at night, everything began to wind down. Guests began to leave and Henry stood up by the door to thank everyone for attending. After the last guest had left, Henry took out a decanter and poured himself a glass of bourbon, jesting to me if I would like one. I didn't really feel the urge to drink at this moment, so I waved him off. Taking a seat in his sitting room, Jekyll began to speak. So, this is about the changes to my will. I assume you're curious about Edward Hyde. More or less, yeah, that is the case. How do you know this man? There isn't really a grand story behind my meeting of Hyde. He was a poor man, down on his luck, and I wish to spread my goodwill. I understand that you want to help him, but... Are you aware of what kind of man he is? From what I have heard, he doesn't seem to care much about others. So, Henry, why help out a man like this? We all need a hand to guide us in our time of need. I feel like he's just stuck in a time of grief and strife. I know he will overcome it. But how can you be so sure that he will- Stop sticking your nose into other people's business! I'm- I'm sorry, John. That was- that was rude of me. I simply see good in this man and wish to help. But Henry, what if he becomes trouble? If it comes down to that, I can get rid of him whenever I need. I think it's time that you go home, John. As I left the building, millions of thoughts shot through my head. It was clear that Henry was lying to me, but I would have to dig much deeper if I wished to uncover the truth. I guess the moment of triumph was still leagues away from me. Over the next month or so, I began rigorous surveillance between the homes of Jekyll and Hyde. Despite what Henry said, I saw no evidence of support other than his bank account as I never managed to see the two men in the same place. I was getting exhausted of this. I felt as if I would never be able to truly uncover what connects these two. That was... Until I managed to learn about a brand new incident involving this man down on his luck. I awoke one morning and went out to my front door to retrieve the morning paper, as I do every morning. 
I picked up the paper and read the front page. And what I found both astonished me and filled me with dread. Nobleman's life cut short, murderer still at large. I read through the article at hyperspeed, making sure to get every detail. It explained how a wealthy and well-respected man by the name of Sir Danvers was walking down the street when he passed by a strange small man. Unprovoked, the man started to lash out at Danvers, beating the man to death with a cane he was wielding. And of course, coming as no surprise, the witnesses managed to identify the perpetrator as one Edward Hyde. I dropped everything and immediately rushed over to Jekyll's home, not even giving myself time to finish eating breakfast or get ready for the day. I had to make sure my friend was safe from this murderer. I would do all I could to protect Henry. I arrived at Henry's home and found him panicking. Henry! I cried out. We have to get you out of here. With Hyde walking around, there's no telling what that madman might do to you. We have to bring you somewhere safe. Struggling to catch his breath, Henry managed to spit out a few words that managed to somewhat calm my nerves. Fear not, John. I am perfectly safe here. Just this morning, I received this letter from none other than Hyde himself. Confused, I opened the letter and began to read it aloud. Dear Dr. Henry Jekyll, over the past few months, you have shown me great hospitality, and I truly appreciate what you've done for me. You may have heard recently that I have done something some would consider unforgivable. As such, I have decided to take my leave from London in order to avoid the law. It truly pains me that I will not be able to repay your gratitude. Please continue to be the amazing man you always were, and I will do my best to pay forward the kindness you have shown me. Sincerely, your friend, Edward Hyde. P.S. Please tell Mr. Hudson that I am sorry our one meeting did not go as pleasantly as it should have. The letter came as quite a shock. Could it be true that... Hyde has changed his ways and managed to somewhat grow a conscience? Regardless, if I was to take this letter at face value, then I can at least consider Hyde gone and no longer a threat. It's a good thing that man left. It's a good thing that he left. Based on how you wrote your will, it was really clear he was going to kill you for your money. Yes, well, hindsight is twenty twenty. You never truly get to know someone until you see the deepest parts of their soul. Hey, Henry, would you mind if I hung on to this letter for a while in order to complete some filing? Be my guest. I have no need for it. The letter was a good omen, but I was still far from convinced. I had felt some peace over this Hyde fellow, and each time it had come back to bite me in the back. So I needed to do a bit more searching. I arrived back in my office and immediately pulled out the will of Henry. I once again read through it cover to cover to see if I had missed anything that Hyde would be able to exploit, and... Unfortunately for me, I may have found it. Along with the will itself, I had kept a letter that Jekyll had sent to request the change of the document. And as I compared the letters, I noticed that the handwriting was remarkably similar. It was as if the two of them were written by the same hand. I took the letter to a friend I had at the nearby police station and had them look it over. And, just as I expected, the handwriting was one and the same. Jekyll had written both letters. What, what could this mean? Was Jekyll protecting a known murderer? Why? For what purpose could he be doing such an action? 
Jekyll knew as well as I did that harboring such a dangerous man would do nothing but incriminate himself. Once again, I began surveillance on Jekyll. I would have simply talked to my friend, but so far, all dis- all previous discussions on this topic had little results except for causing my friend panic. So the idea was ultimately pointless. Over two months, I followed Jekyll wherever he went, hoping to find some sign of Hyde. But it was as if the man really did vanish. He was as elusive as he was mysterious. Maybe if Jekyll was protecting him, the contents of the letter were true and he had skipped town. No, why would Jekyll bother to forge a letter if the man truly did leave? It made no sense. My surveillance was cut short when I once again got word from Dr. Lanyon. The man had once again fallen ill, but this time it was worse than normal. It had seemed as if he would not recover from this. The next day I made my way to Lanyon's home and stood by his side as he lay dying. The doctors were unsure about what caused his condition. All they could determine was Lanyon had recently dealt with something largely stressful that put a large strain on his heart. Maybe Henry could help you. He did always have a great grasp on medicine. Better than any of us, I asked Lanyon, more thinking out loud than truly offering a suggestion. Without missing a beat, Lanyon got angry and claimed, Don't you dare say that bastard's name. After what he had done, he will surely rot in hell. Those were the last words Dr. Lanyon ever said as he passed away just after making his final declaration. As I got up to leave, Lanyon's servants handed me a sealed letter. On the envelope it had written, John, do not open until Jekyll shows his true colors. The curiosity to open the envelope was palpable, but my determination to follow the wishes of one of my oldest friends was stronger. I would have to wait for this event to occur, and... After a couple of weeks, it may have, as I received a letter from Jekyll, more or less stating this. John, I'm massively sorry. I've done something horrible that can never be undone. I completely ruined my relationship with Lanyon, and it will never be repaired. The only way I can make things right is by locking myself in my lab and never coming out. Thank you for your friendship. I will always cherish it. I'll miss you, Henry Jekyll. Immediately, I raced over to Jekyll's home to see what was wrong. When I arrived, I found the home in massive disarray with the door to Henry's lab barricaded shut. Poulet, what is going on here? I asked, concerned. To which Poulet explained. Over the past two months, Jekyll had started going increasingly mad, sending the servants out on wild goose chases to find a specific chemical. Every time they were unable to find it, and around ten days ago... Jekyll locked himself in his lab, but now the voice behind the door kept yelling different things to get, and how it will never come out. The strange thing is, though, the voice behind the door was no longer Dr. Jekyll, and based on what Poulet said, it hadn't been Jekyll for eight days. Henry, please come out and talk to me. We can make this all better. No, John, this is the end for me. I don't want to be stuck like this. I can't keep living like this. It was true. The voice behind the door was not Henry. It sounded just like Edward Hyde. Henry, we're coming in whether you like it or not. I took a few steps back, prepared to ram the door. 
hoping to break it in, but before I began to charge, I heard something. It was a gunshot. Someone had been shot. I barged into the room, and there on the ground, I saw something. It was Hyde, shot. But what came as more as a shock was what he was wearing. He wasn't wearing the traditional clothes that I'd seen him in. He was wearing Henry's clothes. On the dresser, there was a letter addressed to me. On it was written, Read the letter given by Landon first. As instructed, I tore the letter open and began to read. Needless to say, the contents inside shocked me to my core. Ever since I was a child, I'd struggle with several day surges. Some part of me just knew that if I was to stop holding it in, I would do something awful. As such, I'd lived my life with a lock on myself, holding in the version of me I couldn't allow others to see. I was deeply ashamed of this part of myself. I believed that if I was going to live with this, I had to do something to help the world. So I began to study medicine. Maybe by helping people heal physically, I would allow myself to heal mentally. I was the top of my class, and I was sure I would help all who needed it. Fortunately, the older I got, the stronger my desires and urges became. I eventually became the doctor I wanted to be. But it was all in vain. My mind was more fractured than when I began my studies. Around this time, I met Dr. Lanyon, and we quickly became close friends. We were brothers in arms. Together we would find a cure for all diseases. We were going to save the world. Eventually, Lanyon and I parted ways for over an experiment I wished to try. Lanyon and I thought of a brilliant idea. The human mind. It is an enigma. One in which we know almost nothing about. But I have a theory. What if it were possible to split the human consciousness into two distinct beings? One of morals and empathy, and one of envy and depravity. The theory was, of course, a way for me to cure myself, to force the base urges out of my mind. Lanyon, however, was not thrilled on the concept. The theory is intriguing, Jekyll, but I must ask, what would be the benefit? Humanity already strives to show the world the best part of themselves, and as such, goodwill does not alter. And you will unleash an evil form of oneself, uncontrollable and untamed. You did bring up a good point. There's no guarantee that the evil side remain dormant. There's also no way to know unless I tried. I began to work on this project on my own, with constant disapproval from my colleague. I felt as if I was getting closer and closer to my goal. Eventually, Landon got fed up with my inability to trust his judgment, and the man left. That was the last time I spoke with the man. The abandonment of my friend served as nothing more than a mild inconvenience. As I pushed forward my experiment, eventually, I'd come up with a sample that I believed would allow the separation of the human mind. I decided to test the potion on myself. True, I should have began my test on that of a rat or a chimp, but my enthusiasm to release these urges was greater than any logic. At first, I felt as if there was no effect. Nothing was altering within me. My mind was the same, and so was my appearance. The only thing to note was the salty and somewhat bitter taste of the concoction, like mixing crackers into cold coffee. Eventually, I began to feel a change. Feet began to grow numb, followed by the remainder of my body. I was unable to stand, and I held no feeling in my body. I fell to the ground and began to convulse. 
I felt as if I was shrinking in some way. It was an odd blend of pain and euphoria. Something about this felt natural, as if I was becoming what I had always meant to be. Eventually, the pain subsided, and I regained control of my body. Something was off. My hands looked different. My clothes were fitting weird. And I was unable to reach the top of my shelf. I ran into my mirror, shocked over what it was. Standing before me was a man, much shorter than I would normally stand. He looked younger. Something about his eyes seemed malicious, as if he truly wished to do harm to those around them. Was my experiment a success? No. I may have morphed physically, but mentally I was the same. I was still Henry Jekyll. But maybe I don't have to be. Yes, this is it. I may not have to change mentally. This appearance. I can finally fulfill my wishes consequence-free. I can hide from the world my intent while indulging. I just need a name for this form. Hide. Yes. Edward Hyde. That shall be the name of my alter ego. From this day forth, Hyde shall live free of all social constructs. Hyde will live out the life Jekyll could not. Hyde will save Jekyll from himself. Over the next few years, I would go out each night and indulge. Whatever twisted act came to mind, free of consequences, during the day, I'd do what I could to make up for such actions. I managed to forge an identity for Mr. Hyde, setting him up with some money and giving him his own place of residence. I even turned into my will if I ever wanted to fully abandon Jekyll and remain as Hyde forever. This was a flawless system until I, the day I trampled that little girl. It was the first time I had done something that resulted in harm to someone else. I began to panic and rush away. Fortunately, the nearby spectators wouldn't allow me to leave, forcing me to pay up for my actions. It was the first time I had to tie the face of Edward Hyde to my money. From then on, I decided to be much more scarce in my transformation, only doing it when I felt it was safe. Eventually, I realized the dangers of what I was doing when I went to bed one night and woke up the next morning as Hyde. I sent into a massive panic. I know I'd planned to one day remain as Hyde, but after harming a child, I can't remain as someone so commonly despised. I needed to make a choice. I had to give up on my serum and remain as the well-respected doctor for the rest of my life. I managed to stay clean for what I would assume to be two months. I was sure if I was not Hyde, I couldn't hurt anyone. The temptation came back. Just one night out as Hyde wouldn't hurt anyone, would it? Needless to say, that night, I murdered Sir Danvers. This was the last straw. I was sure I would never allow Hyde to breach the surface as long as I shall live. I shall remain as Jekyll. From that point on, I return to my old lab. Occasionally, I'd go out to fulfill one of my urges without the use of the concoction, just to get out of my system. The system seemed to be working for myself until, again, I went to bed as Jekyll and woke as Hyde. This became a recurring issue, as I know I could not show Hyde's face in public anymore of being a wanted murderer, but I was slowly running out of my methods of turning back. This didn't truly become an issue to deal with until an average walk one day. I felt a change come over me, transforming to Hyde in broad daylight. I panicked, unsure what to do. I couldn't go home and retrieve my materials. No matter what I told my servants about Hyde, they would just alert the police if I made contact. As such, I reached out to the one person who would not know who Hyde was. Lanyon. I quickly wrote Lanyon a letter and dropped it off at his home. 
and instructed him to go to my home and collect certain ingredients for one of my cabinets, and a small man would arrive at his home to collect them at midnight. I was happy to find out I still had a modicum of trust for my old friend, and he did exactly as he was instructed. At midnight that night, I arrived to obtain my property. As I mixed everything together, Delaney just stared, puzzled over the strange man in front of him. Do you wish to see something amazing? Just know that once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. Lanyon gave no response as he continued to stare. I decided to take that as a yes, drank the mixture, to which I managed to regain my original form. An intense look of fear and terror rushed over Lanyon as he slammed his door, hoping to get away from the monster he had witnessed. Back home in my lab, I worked on a way to remain as Jekyll permanently. However, in this attempt, I lost my ability to return temporarily. Received a new batch of ingredients needed to return as Jekyll, but the mixture did nothing. I was still hide. My only guess would be that my tools had some unknown impurity in the first batch, which caused the transformation. I was stuck in the body of a killer. Over the next few days, I pondered in my lab, hoping to find some way. It was pointless. No matter what I did, I'd be stuck like this. Eventually, John arrived at my home, tried to talk me back out of the lab. The sentiment was nice. I believe he wished to help, but there was no thought in my mind he'd be able to accept the cold-blooded monster as his friend. As John prepared to break into my lab, I decided to make the final choice. It seemed I failed to keep my lives apart. Jekyll will never be separated from Hyde. Oh well, not much can be done about it now. Thank you for listening to Retold, Classics Given New Life. Special thanks once again to Rally Moore for providing the voice of our two title characters. In the next episode, we will be retelling Tarzan of the Apes, written by Edgar Rice Burrow.